Well, thanks again for being with us this weekend. We're especially glad you're joining us if this is your first church experience in a long time or first time ever. And if you're new or relatively new, we have a free gift to thank you for being with us today. Simply text the word WELCOME to 410-216-5534. Or if you're here in the sanctuary, you can just stop by the welcome desk out in the concourse and we'll be happy to give you that free gift. Uh, when I was in high school, I loved going to concerts. Um, and so my senior year in high school, I bought two tickets to go to the John Mellencamp concert. Big John Mellencamp fan. Still like John Mellencamp. Uh, so in any case, got these two tickets to go to the John Mellencamp concert to see him at the Spectrum. I grew up in Philadelphia in Havertown. So I was going to go down to the Spectrum to see John Mellencamp. Uh, at the same time, about a month before the concert, the Blue Route, or 476, uh, opened up near my house. They talked about that for years, but it finally opened up. And this was, again, and, and the on-ramp was really close to my house. So I was told it would take about a 45-minute drive from my house to the Spectrum down to about 25 minutes. So excited to hear about that. All you had to do was take 476 South to 95, and it takes you right by the stadium. So the night of the concert, I picked up my friend, and we got on 476 North. And we started driving. And driving, and driving, and finally we got so lost, we missed the concert. I know, thank you, I really appreciate it, it still is a pain in my heart. Now, here's the kicker, the guy I was with, he knew you took 476 South to get to 95, I said, well, why didn't you tell me that? He's like, well, I thought you knew another direction. So I got so lost, we missed the concert. We can get lost in, in trying to get places. Then we can lose objects. Uh, another travel story, but not of me getting lost. Uh, back in the late 90s, I was going to go visit my sister, uh, Mary Ellen, at Mercyhurst uh, College, which is in Erie. So, uh, again, this is all pre-9-11. I was going to fly to Buffalo, rent a car, and uh, drive over to see her. So we get to the airport. Uh, my wife, Mia, is dropping me off. And I go to I take out my wallet to give them my license. I don't have my license. I've lost it. And so this was pre-9-11, so they were still going to let me on the plane, but I had to rent a car. And so we run to the gate, and Mia is saying to me, they're not going to let you rent a car without a license. And I'm like, I'll figure it out. I just, that's all I could think of is getting on the plane. And then the last second, the plane was delayed about two and a half hours. So me and I jump in the car, we drive to the MVA, I get my license replaced, drive back in time, and we still made, I still made the flight. It was, it was amazing. But... Again, with, I lost my license. Without my license, I really was stuck and couldn't really go anywhere. Then there's the time I lost my son. And so, um, this was, uh, my wife, me, and I, we had three kids at the time, uh, so we were lightweights. Um, we had uh, Max, Gus, and Nate. Max was about five, Nate three, Gus, uh, I'm sorry, Gus was three, Nate was one. And so we were at the beach, and we would go early in the season, so it wasn't too crowded, and... Um, we, we, we were, it was at the end of the day, we're, we're packing up, and the baby, is, who's Nate at the time, is crying and upset, and me said, I will take him home, I'll take care of him, you get the other two kids, you get the stuff, and you walk back. So I gathered up the stuff, and it was like pretty much a straight shot right back from the beach to the beach house, so I gather up the stuff, and I start walking, and I see that Max is behind me. And so I think Max is there, Gus is just probably right behind him, so we get to the beach house, and I turn around, and I say, Max, Max, where's Gus? And Max says, I don't know. I said, and I just thought, Max, that's pretty irresponsible of you. Um, 
And I realize Gus is not with us. So I, I run down to the, you know, run because we're on the second floor, run down, jump on my bike, and I start driving through town yelling, Gus, Gus, Gus. And after about 10 or 15 minutes, found out that he had taken a turn. A family, you know, blessedly, luckily, had taken care of him. And then we found him, and I had my son back. But again, it's your heart's in your throat, you know, it's your, your, the pit in your stomach, heart in your throat. It's, it's, it's terrible when that happens. And so we all have had those experiences of losing things, of either being lost ourselves and we feel helpless and hopeless when we don't know where we're going. We have lost objects. Uh, and when you've lost an object or something, it doesn't do you any good or there's, there's no consolation in knowing everything else you have. When, I'm, when you're missing your license, it's no con- consolation you have your wallet. Or when you're missing your, your phone, it's no consolation you have your keys. We, we, we are anxious and upset until we replace or find what we have lost. And then, again, to lose a child or think you might lose a child, the, 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 the pain of that, the anxiety of that, it, it's overwhelming. We're beginning a brand new message series. Uh, It's going to be a six-week series, and we're going to look at Luke 15. And in Luke 15, Jesus tells three parables about lost things. He tells the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then probably the most famous parable of all, the lost son. Each of these three parables have an arc to the story. Something is lost. Something or someone is lost. And then it is found or brought home. And then there's a celebration or a party at the end. So there's this similar arc, but there's also differences and nuances to the story. In two of the three stories, the person who lost something was irresponsible. In two of the three stories, it is men that lost something. And in the third, it's a woman who lost something. In the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin, someone goes in search of what was lost. But in the parable of the prodigal son, no one goes looking for the lost son. Why is that? We're going to talk about that. We're going to look at that. And in each of these parables, again, Jesus is taking us deeper and deeper into the truths of the kingdom of God until we do get to the parable of the prodigal son, which is, as I said, perhaps the most famous of Jesus' parables and certainly the one that touches people's hearts the most and strikes people the most. So why are we looking at the parable of the, uh, the Luke 15 and all these parables for this series? Well, I think, one, we've all been kind of lost over the last 15 or 16 months. We're all still trying to find our sense of direction and where we're going. And so why not come back to what God says about lost things and look at this, these parables Another reason we are doing that is we enter this fall, we are trying to recenter ourselves or refocus ourselves on a very major uh, strategic anchor of our church, which we say is welcoming outsiders or reaching people who are lost or disconnected from Christ and his church. When we built this church, well, actually, when we were raising the money to build this sanctuary, we did it because we said we, it wasn't for us that we're already here. We were doing it to reach the people who are not currently coming that we want to reach people who are disconnected from Christ and his church, who didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And so the reason we have this church building and we have the, the cameras and the lights and the fog machines and, and so much of what we do is because we want to be welcoming to people who are not connected to Christ and his church. It's, it's why we have our hospitality teams, the, greet, the parking ministers, the greeters at the door, our host ministers here in, in the church. And 
why uh, welcome desk ministers and, and cafe ministers, all that is to create a welcoming environment for people who maybe didn't feel welcome in other churches. And we're calling this home field advantage because we believe that our, we make the most compelling case for Christ. We make the most compelling case for, that God so loved the world, he gave his only beloved son. When we gather together and bring our efforts together to reach people here on Ridgely Road or on, online. And that's why we, we have our chat hosts online. So people, no matter where they are, can feel welcome. We make the most compelling case for Christian community and the power and the value of being connected to other Christ followers through when we gather together on the weekends. So that's why we're calling it Home Field Advantage. And let me just say it before we get into a couple of verses, and we're just going to look at a few verses today from Luke 15 about that word lost, because that can sound a little bit offensive. I mean, I think if, if you are a, not a church person, not a religious person, if you're coming back for the first time and you, and you, you might be thinking, wait, is Jesus saying I'm lost? Yeah, he is. And I can understand that could sound a little bit offensive, but this is what Jesus says. He said, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And so maybe, you know, you, you might be a little bit offended by that. And let me acknowledge, it does take a little bit of humility to, to admit it. But also, as we're going to see in these parables, when Jesus talks about the lost, he is saying that the lost are valuable. And it's because Jesus values you. And when, let me just say this as well, that just because you're in church or part of a church community does not mean you cannot be lost. We can still get lost. All right, so with that said, let's jump into Luke 15. And we're just looking at a couple of verses, and they, these, these verses set the stage for the parables. And they do, they, it helps us to know the context and the audiences that Jesus is speaking to. Because Jesus is speaking to two audiences. There's a primary audience and a secondary audience. So who are they? Well, Luke 15, 1 tells us this. Tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to listen to him. These, this is the secondary audience. They are not the primary audience for the parables, but they're listening to them. Tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to listen to Jesus. Who were they? Well, tax collectors collected taxes. Uh, they collected taxes for the Roman Empire, the Roman oppressors and the Jewish eyes. And so they were hated by people because, one, they were collecting taxes for, for the enemy, and then they would skim off the top for themselves, and often they were very, very wealthy. So here you are, a, a Jewish person, and you're trying to get ahead. You, you have a bumper crop. You, get, you catch extra fish, and then there's the tax man to take that money away from you so you can't get ahead. And then worse, he's giving money over to the Roman occupiers. So they were hated. They were not allowed in the Jewish synagogue or the temples. They, were, they basically said by their lifestyle, we want nothing to do with God or the things of God. And then there were the sinners. And the same thing, by their, a lot of times that meant prostitutes, but it just meant also people who wanted nothing to do with God anymore, who had said from their lifestyle, I'm not interested in the Jewish law, I'm not interested in the synagogue, I'm not interested in going to temple, I want nothing to do with that. And yet, they draw near to listen to Jesus. People who wanted nothing to do with religion wanted something to do with Jesus. As we said before, people who were nothing like him liked him and wanted to be around him. Why is that? Well, he was winsome. 
and he was engaging and he was welcoming and he was funny and he was charismatic and he liked them and they could tell that he liked them and liked being around them. Why did they listen to Jesus? People had no interest in, in church or God stuff. Why were they listening to Jesus? Because he spoke to the deepest desires of their heart. As a parish, we talk about sharing our faith with people who don't have a faith in Jesus Christ. And I think many times people think that that means sharing your faith means convincing them that I am right and you are wrong. But that has nothing to do with sharing our faith. Sharing our faith is all about introducing people to the person of Jesus Christ who spoke to the deepest desires of people's hearts, who was likable and engaging. And that's why if you're here today and you're not, again, a, a church person or religious person and you, you don't have any interest in the church rules or the church laws, you don't have any interest in the catechism, you might not even own a Bible, welcome. We're glad you're here and I think you will like Jesus because the tax collectors and sinners who had walked away from church or were disconnected to church liked him. So that's the, the secondary audience, but who is the primary audience? Well, the primary audience is told us in the next verse. But the Pharisees began to grumble and complain, saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. We'll get to the Pharisees in a second, but look at the complaint, the grumbling. That first reading talked about the Israelites grumbling and complaining in the desert. It's the same, whoa, what happened there? Um, same word. The Pharisees are grumbling and complaining that he welcomes sinners and eats with them. Again, Jesus welcomed people no matter where they were in the relationship with God. He had fellowship with them. And everything we, with all our ministries, we are trying to do the same exact thing. If on a scale of one to 10 in your relationship with God, you are a negative 10, we want to welcome you in. It's why we have all our hospitality ministers here on church, it's, or here on campus, and why we have our chat hosts online. It is to welcome you no matter where you are in your relationship with God. But the Pharisees, they didn't like this. They grumbled and complained. Why were the Pharisees so upset that Jesus was, was meeting with tax collectors and sinners and, and welcoming people who had given up on God or thought God had given up on them? Again, who are the Pharisees? The Pharisees, the word actually means separate ones. And the Pharisees believed that God would send the Messiah to redeem the nation of Israel and throw out the Roman oppressors and then once again would, would, would rule Israel. But they thought for God to do that, a, a, a critical mass, or all, or at least a critical mass of Israelites needed to live out the law perfectly or close to perfectly. And that's what they were working to do. And so there comes Jesus, and he's gathering crowds of people and he's influencing the people. And here he is meeting with tax collectors and sinners. So they're thinking Jesus is so popular. And that if more and more, peop more, and more people see him gathering with these people who are not keeping the law at all and have no, don't seem to have any interest in keeping the Jewish law, if Jesus is meeting with them, that too many people are going to get the wrong idea and that Jesus is working against God. Now here's the thing about the Pharisees. They loved God's law. They loved God's word. They loved the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. They loved the prophets. They loved the wisdom literature, all that. They, they loved the whole, what we would call Old Testament. They loved it. And so did Jesus. They had that in common. 
We see the Pharisees and Jesus butting heads in the Gospels, and we can be tempted to believe or, or maybe start to conclude that they had nothing in common, but they had a lot in common. Let me ask you this question. Who do you argue with the most? Often, it's the person with whom you share the same values and share the same worldview. And what happens is you stumble upon something that you disagree about, and it's kind of surprising or shocking, and that, that causes the argument. Uh, I remember when my wife, me, and I were, were dating. We were six months into our dating relationship. Uh, we went to an amusement park, and uh, we saw a teenager with some piercings and things like that on his face, and it, it just struck up a conversation of how we would be a parent in that, in that situation. We would let our kid do that. Would, would we, you know, how would we react? We started getting this whole conversation about a hypothetical kid we didn't even have in a hypothetical situation. But we found we disagreed a bit, and we were arguing. And, and in one level, it's like, oh, are we going to break up now because we're fighting? But we were fighting about these hypothetical kids we might have in the future. The reality was we, we cared so much about the relationship and where it was going that we would have this argument. So here's my only point. You tend to argue with people with whom you share the same values and the same worldview. And so, Jesus, he's now going to, he, who argues with the Pharisees, now will tell these parables, these three parables on Luke 15, to convince them they should have the same values he has. That they, he should be, they should be caring about people who are lost and undisconnected from God as much as he did. And we're going to pick it up there next week and we'll, dry, we'll dive into those parables. But here's what I would say if you're a Christ follower. What we want to do over the next, this series is to convince you to share this value of Jesus that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And so this week, here's what would be your homework for that. Who is one person, one person you know, that does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ and is not connected to his community of believers? Would you begin to pray for him, pray for her, and ask God to break your heart a bit for them, to care about them more and more? If you want a little bit more homework for this week, um, read Luke 15. You can read it in probably 10 minutes. Read it every day this week, or at least a few times this week, and get acquainted with these parables. About 20 years ago, our parish set off on a different track. We realized that Baltimore needed a, a, a parish that was an intentionally focused, so intentionally focused on reaching people that were unconnected to Christ in his church, to try to put rungs on the ladder so low that no matter where people were in their relationship with God, they would feel welcome, that they could believe, they could belong before they believed. And so we, we worked on that. And I would say as a result, more than anything else we did as a church, as a result of that commitment, because there was some struggles in having that commitment. But as a result of that commitment of reaching people who were other, uh, that were not being reached, we grew. And we experienced health as a parish. And I would say this, we experienced revival. That many people's faith in God was revived, both people in the church and outside the church. It brought revival. I believe in these crazy and chaotic times, God wants to bring revival to his church. He wants to bring revival to your heart, to my heart, to our parish. 
And the way in which we will be revived is that we will align ourselves. We will keep aligning ourselves. We will work to align ourselves with the mission of Jesus Christ, who said he came to seek and to save the lost. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that while we were still helpless, that while we were still sinners, that while we were your enemies, you sent your son to come and to die for us. Thank you for your son. And Father, help us to get aligned with his mission, to seek and save those who are lost, those who are far from you. Break our hearts, God. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. Help us to, to align ourselves with your son that we can be part of his mission. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.